Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're done with your Oreo? Yeah, <laughs> done with my Oreo. Okay, good. Um, Do we really know what happened? The brother did. The brother, that's what I thought too. I mean, that seems like kind of obvious. Hey, do you want to talk about death? Yeah, I mean, I murder Stop. <laughs> Why do you put it in my face like that? Because <laughs> I know it makes you uncomfortable. <laughs> and welcome. I'm talking. We're talking about the mic, <laughs> not anything else. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Hi. See, I I can edit this episode more because <laughs> we're recording on what is it Saturday. We're doing things. We're getting it done. I know, right? I don't have as much theater stuff now, and uh, you're not in school anymore, so we have and a And I'm time. not working. And I have, like, a, I work in, like, a couple weeks, but, like, right. it's, it's like, weird. Yeah. I know. It's I have, like, all this. I've gotten so much sleep. It's wild. That's good, though. That's good. I, I took guess. A, I took a nap earlier, so I'm a little out of it. So. We're both a little out of it. Well, we're doing this. This is going to be an interesting episode. We're both, like, kind of a little out of it, so. And my topic is kind of, like, bizarre, so. <laughs> Isn't it about the moon? I think you should go no, first. No, no. <clears throat> oh, it's not about the moon? That's the next episode. Oh, shit. Sorry. <laughs> no, you you were the one who told me I should do this topic. Oh, my God. We were literally <laughs> just talking about like that's why I'm, I was like, wait, what? I like, am you terrible. Literally sent me the article from Wired that like, <laughs> but also I'm we so terrible. so this is so this is terrible. It's fine. It's fine. What, welcome to mis- w- welcome to mystery murdery thingy. By the way, <laughs> we didn't already say that. I don't know. Oh God. I'm Mario. I'm Chloe. And uh, yeah, we uh, we do a little bit of bullshitting at the beginning, but not as much as some other podcasts. So let's let's get into it. <laughs> let's do it. Okay, so okay, so this is okay. a, a topic that we've been like talking about for a long time. Weirdly, because um, you originally found the article that I got like a lot of my info from uh, on longform.org. So shout out to longform.org if you want to read some good longform articles. Go we, there. We have to stand. Yeah, no, it's it's great. 
Um, so I can't believe I said that out loud. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Using internet speech and the... I hate it when people do that. It's kind of annoying, but it's it's fine. It's it's totally fine. It's your thing. Yeah, and uh, this so the topic is uh, the the dark web, specifically this kind of hoax of dark web hitmen. And in particular, one website in person that will, or people that we'll, we'll kind of focus on. This is so, a juicy story. There's yeah. A lot. It spans the globe. Uh, there's intrigue. There's mystery. There's computers. Intrigue. Uh, the internet is involved. Um, I'll get into it. So, okay. So one thing that is not a mystery, right? And and there, so there's, there are going to be certain things in this topic that are not going to be mysteries, and we'll talk about that. And things that are very mysterious. So the first thing that's not mysterious is that there are people out there who really want someone else dead, and seriously, that like, like gave me chills. So uh, ch- sharp left turn. Um, we know that, right? People yeah. kill other people. People have other people killed. Um, it happens, unfortunately, a, a lot, all the time. Um. And most of these people, though, are thankfully pretty unwilling to actually do it. Um, actually killing someone else. You know, it's it, it's not nearly as common as people who would want someone to be killed. And that's the, the difference between those two things kind of comes into play during this, this topic, right? Um, so they've kind of thought about it. They're starting to, like, plot, okay, how could I do this, right? And there are a small number of these people, right, these would-be murderers that know about a thing called the dark web and they look at in the dark web for someone else to do their dirty work because mm. uh this you know is a pl- kind of the place you, you go to right on on the on the internet i'll talk a little bit in a, in a minute about what the dark web is okay um so the the, the mystery though that we're going to focus on is about the person or people who run a uh sort of series of these dark web hitmen for higher web- websites and I should say right at the beginning, very clearly, that there also is no mystery as to whether or not these sites are scams. They are scams. Uh, they are, are hoaxes designed to bilk desperately depraved people who yeah. want a hit on a target, right? Um, it's just money-making. That's all it is. Yeah, so that that's not really the mystery here. So let's just lay that out right at the beginning. So, um, yeah... What exactly is the dark web? Let's talk about that. Or the deep web, which it's also called. So it is a series of websites, right, hosted on servers, just like the internet that everyone knows about. Um, But the difference is that you can't find these websites on Google or Bing or any, um, you know, search engine. They're not publicly indexed, Um, essentially making the servers on which they're stored uh, private, uh, and and untraceable um, through normal means, so um, yeah, it's it's this kind of like secret room, right? You you can think of it as as like you know kind of like a a, a secret room you can only get in you know with a, a key. Yeah, and that's it, exactly what it's like. You know, and 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 there are physical places like this too, right? I mean, you uh, you just did the agony and ecstasy of Steve Jobs, right? This uh, uh, play about you know, Shenzhen and, and uh, the exploitations of workers, you know, who are making Apple phones and all that, right? Yes. But a part of that at the very beginning was him, the the author, describing going to a market, right, where you could buy yes. guns, you could buy whatever, Anything. hitman services. Yeah. It, a real place, right? Um, the dark web is essentially that, but on the internet. So anyway, um, 
yeah. And some of it is very sickening. Yes, no, very, very, Absolutely. very sickening. So, yeah, you you kind of need a certain piece of technology um, and the will to, to get on these dark web websites. It's not hard. Like, this is not, like, something yeah. where you need to be, like, a, a you know, a techie or something. You know, not really. You you just download it, and I'm not going to, like, get into it because no one needs to go to this thing. Because while it is easy to get to, don't go there. It's not advisable to go there. Just don't just go poking around or something. Like, it's not a good idea. There's malware and... While my topic does involve a hoax, there is legitimately criminal, despicable content on the dark web. Things that we don't need to get into, but which are really, really terrible. The worst possible things you can think of. And again, some of them are hoaxes and some of them are not. So, yeah. It's not like there isn't real stuff here. So, yes. Let's talk about Yura. And Yura is sort of... The central figure here that 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 the mystery is going to uh, swirl around, and uh, this is the handle used. Um, well, one of the handles used by the person or people running reportedly the most sophisticated and profitable dark web hitman hoax on the dark web, and it's important uh, uh, to note that no one knows who Yura is. It's extremely mysterious. We have essentially no idea. Um, And that's kind of the central mystery I'm going to talk about this week. Um, But uh, I also think that that there are are a couple of senses in which we can explore this mystery of of who is Yura. Um, First, in the sort of plain sense, right, that we don't know the name of this person or people, where they are. Uh, how old they are, anything about them, right? What's their background? What, you know, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there uh, has been a lot of I'm, research. I mean, I'm frustrated. It's yeah, very frustrated. There, there, it's not like there haven't been people who've tried to find this out, too. Right. You know? um, and secondarily, we don't know who Yura is in the sense that we don't know Yura's true nature or true intentions. Um, you know, so, it, it, for example, is Yura working with the authorities or against them? Is Yura sort of good or evil, if we want to put it, you know, simplistically? Is Yura an entrapper of would-be murderers, or is Yura an inciter of violence? You know, it, it, and and I think the the Wired article gets uh, does a good job of getting into into that. I never thought of it in that two dividing it up perfectly, like in half, like that. Yeah, there's a certain duality to the to Yura's nature sure. that uh, that we'll we'll kind of see as we get into the story. But there's a there's another figure. There, there's a foil to Yura in the in the the person of Chris Montero, and uh, Chris Montero is what I like to think of as sort of the anti-Yura, um, where where Yura's out there, you know, bilking people on the internet. Chris Montero is out there shutting people like that down, Go and pointing out their hoaxes and their scams and whatever else. And yes, thank you to Chris Chris Montero for. All indication that I've seen on the forty eight hours episode reading what he saving said. Saving lives. Seems like literally a, a, saving lives. Very much so. Like the most genuine, like well intentioned person who's like yeah. really trying to do good for the world. So good good on you. Yeah. And, and again, unlike <laughs> Yura, who seems like kind of a douche. He's definitely like the ant the like the anti Yura. Like the devil yeah. angel like 
Yeah, it is kind of like that. So there's a certain duality there as well. So it's it's interesting this this story kind of centers around these like dualities, but maybe not as simple or or you know straightforward as as you might at first think. Uh, as as everything always is, right? So um, Chris Montero is also the reason why we know really about this at all. Like you, like you and I, like Chloe and me, because he c- contributed heavily to that longform.org article, or well, it was a Wired article, but we found it on longform.org uh, that Chloe read first and then showed to me like a yeah. long time ago, and then reminded wild, me of as well. Well, I when I went back home. My mom was like, hey, like, I have this thing. And it was like a two-part 48 hours episode. Mm. She was like, I watched it. It was really good. You should Click watch it, too. Yeah. Is, that, is that what it, That's what it was That's the name called? of the episode, yeah. It was, yeah. It was really, really good. And I was like, oh, wait, I know this story. Yeah. 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 But they got really – I don't know if you're going to get into that. Um, a, a little bit. Their investigation? Bit. Okay. A little bit. A little bit. Because it is a lot. It's a two-parter episode, so it's an hour and a half of content. It's it's a, a lot about the investigations. And I, it, I'm it i going to get into some of that. But I also have to say, while the 48-hour episode it was exhaustive, um, they themselves saved lives and like helped authorities. Like It was a great project that they did. I did find it, and I told you this, a little annoying. Where the, at the beginning, they were like, Wait, did he do it? Was it who do you think it was? Was it the husband or wasn't it the husband? And then it was like, is the dark man, dark web hitman site, is it a real thing or is it a hoax? You know, it was like this click to, you know, give us your opinion. I just found it a little annoying. But other than that, it was a great episode. That's my net to pick. Sorry. That's fair. That's totally fair. It's like when there's too much acting and like. An ID show. That's the first thing I asked my mom. She like, she like recommends me the show. I'm like, okay, is mom, is there a lot of acting? Right. How much acting do I have? To, are, do, do they talk? If they talk, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to watch it. Yeah. If they have lines, I don't want to watch it. <laughs> okay. So, um, Chris, along with being a uh, computer professional of some extraction, I forget. Um, he has a few hobbies. Um, he likes writing wikis, uh, running certain subreddits about the dark web, and investigating dark web hoaxes. Um, he's, I think he's also really into investigating like credit card fraud and stuff like that. Like so, your dad. A little bit, yeah. A little <laughs> bit. Um, so, but the, this last one, right, the investigating the dark web hoaxes um, becomes more of an obsession as time goes on. And, and the time period we're talking about here is like the past few years, like 2016 till, till now, essentially um, when, when all of this is kind of going on and uh, what he discovers, um, you know, that, that kind of like brings this, this intensification of this hobby on, right. It becomes sort of a, almost a quest, I think to him, if you want to think about it that way um, is a site called Beza Mafia. And initially, called Beza Mafia because yes. yes. as we'll see it also it becomes so many things um, and it's being run by a man named quote unquote Yura um, presumably a man Chris's intention when he found this site was to like he typically does expose it you know uh, for the dark web you know seeming hoax that it, that it is um, and his uh, research into it did suggest that the site um did not actually facilitate quote unquote body harm services as it advertises to do mm-hmm. and seem to instead be a scam to get people's bitcoins, mm-hmm. which is a, a cryptocurrency that allows for sort of these, to some extent, anonymized, anonymized 
uh, transactions. And Chris wrote about this all on uh, Rational Wiki, um, which is like Wikipedia, but it's it's a little bit different. So Chris did not know at first the Pandora's box that this opened up, Ooh. right? Because this is this this sort of like starts a chain of events, right? Um, so on February twentieth, twenty sixteen, an anonymous edit was made to the Rational Wiki page uh, that that he had created about all this. Um, saying, quote, all assassination sky- sites are scams, except for Beza Mafia, which is real. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Um, not subtle. So <laughs> after that edit, uh, which included a link to a dark web uh, website, um, when when that was deleted, a second, uh, but by like the, you know, administrators or whatever, a second edit was made that said, quote, another site is Beza Mafia a marketplace where hitmen can sign up to provide their services and where customer can order. The it's site like... protects the customers with an escrow service that stores the Bitcoin until the job is completed. They also accept external escrows. Close quote. It sounds like... Like you'd be reading, like, a Wikipedia page and then all of a sudden there's an ad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's... it's it, it clearly... And, and, of course, you know, Chris figured this out immediately... Uh, this was whoever ran Basin Mafia, right? Trying to drum up some business. And this apparently is not uncommon for these sort of dark web scams where they will advertise on subreddits, uh, on wikis, on blogs, um, you know, just these kind of like little stand-up websites, right? On um, uh, WordPress or whatever, right? Um, And they'll... You know, those websites are accessible. Those websites you can find on Google, and then they point you to the dark web website where you can give away your money to people who are trying to scam you. So um, Chris was intrigued, a little offended that someone had used his wiki to try to profit, you know, in one of their scams. But, um, yeah, he he decided to visit this site a a little more and and kind of look more into it in in terms of Beza Mafia, what's really going on here. So, um, the Beza Mafia site purported to be run by an Albanian crime syndicate. Beza is apparently Albanian for honor. And uh, Chris found, (laughs) as we uh, saw earlier, right, a lot of typos, a lot of grammatical errors. Clearly, whoever's making this uh, text does not, um, and we'll, we'll find this out for sure, does not know English too well. Um, stock photos were also on the site, um, sort of giving a sense of the murdery nature, right, of the offerings therein. Um, the body harm services, right. And, uh, um, he, Chris also found a payment system that did not, in fact, involve any escrow accounts or whatever security. It, it, you simply put your Bitcoin in there, and the administrator could immediately take it out, and did, and you never got it back. There's no way to. <laughs> so yeah, that's that was a complete lie. <laughs> so first of all, the first of many. <laughs> um, so you know, Chris, of course, he finds this out, and what does he do? He goes back to his his wikis and his his website and everything, and puts this out. Right, um, the. Uh, ideas, right? You they uh, you expose these things, right? You you put the knowledge out that these scammers are trying to keep hidden, in order to to you know hopefully stop them, right? Interrupt what they're doing. So um, yeah, he wrote all about all this on his blog, uh, Chris Montero, and um, 
things start to escalate. Uh, Chris is contacted directly by the Beza Mafia site administrators, and they say, quote, Hello, with, with one L, to, just to note. I am one of the admins of the Beza Mafia website on Deep Web. Would it be possible for us to pay for a true and honest positive review? Let me know if we can prove to you that we are legit. And it was signed, quote, unquote, Yura. So, a little, you know, a little weird, but also, like, uh, clearly this is what this person does, right? They find these people saying, like, oh, this is super fake. They go to those people and try to, like, get them to stop saying that on the internet, you know, as... You know, so their business can be better. Yeah. The way they're trying to scam yeah. people. So this I'm all just, kind of I'm just shocked. This all My kind of makes sense, right? <laughs> but it's it's super weird too, right? Yeah. You know, and and yeah, Chris Montero is a little weirded out when he gets this message, but of course he does not acquiesce to this bribe attempt. Essentially, um, he he pro- he tries to get some more information from Yura. Starts asking questions. Starts pointing out all the flaws and in, in the website and how it's fake and you know. What what is all this? You know, he's trying to get answers from whoever is messaging with him, called Yura, and um, eventually Yura goes from you know offering money to getting a little more threatening, saying he would quote pay some cheap freelancers to fill articles and submit posts and comments claiming you are undercover cop close quote. So he's essentially you know I'm going to go after you. Um, Chris, uh, again, publishes all this whole exchange on his website, you know, just expose it, um, and things escalate once more. A few weeks later, a comment was left on Chris's blog entry with a link to a video. And this brief and disturbing video, um, yeah, starts out by someone holding up a, a message on a piece of paper. And it reads, quote, Gang members for Beza Mafia on Deep Web. Dedication to Pirate London, 10 April 2016. Close quote. Uh, Pi- Pirate London's Chris Montero's okay. we- uh, website or, or his handle or whatever on the internet. Then after a brief delay, you see a, a car engulfed in flames. What the fuck? A real car in real life actually on fire. So it's not this. This is not itself fake, right? Yeah. This video. Like, it's clear this is actually real. So, yeah, Chris is a little shook. This is not what usually happens when he exposes hoaxes and scams on the internet. Um, Usually the people just ignore him or, you know, certainly they don't get to this level of violence and and intimidation attempts. Which to me, I don't know. Is it weird that I'm surprised? Surprised by what? That, like... He like shuts down all of these like hoax hoax people on the on like the dangerous part of the internet, but like he doesn't really get fucked with. I think this also gets to a little bit of a separate mystery of how I mean, yes, there are dangerous people on the dark web. Yes, there's a criminality, terrible stuff, like we talked about earlier, legitimately criminal and despicable, awful things. But a lot of it is scammers, and scammers aren't necessarily violent criminals. Right, Like, someone who's going to skim your credit card by putting a device in an ATM and then walking away is not necessarily the same person who's going to, like, stab you for your wallet. That's a good point. That's a good point. It's maybe a different type of person, still a person willing to 
do things that are bad and criminal and shouldn't be done, but not necessarily a violent person. Okay. And I don't know whether – I don't know – I'm not a criminologist. I'm not a psychologist. Like, I don't want to, like – get i guess too into things i don't know what the fuck i'm talking but about I mean, but i mean that makes sense that makes a lot of sense to right me. yeah exactly i think that just kind of makes sense so so these people aren't necessarily violent but th- this this is a little bit more violent than, you know yeah. certainly than he was used to um so chris describes his feelings in the wired article quote i started questioning myself had i pissed off a criminal organization what the fuck had i gotten myself into close quote uh. Yeah, so I he's mean, he's a little yeah. he's a little shook. So uh, he he makes what is one of the the first of many unsuccessful attempts, unfortunately, at getting help from various authorities, p- police, etc. So an officer, when he he goes down to London's Charing Cross Police Station, because he he lives in London, if I didn't uh, mention that already. Um, so the the officer there at the desk um, takes his notes down what he tells him or whatever and eventually refers him to the falcon team uh which is apparently the name of the uh the falcon team um which is apparently the metropolitan police's uh cybersecurity unit nice no it's a, it's a cool name it's a it good name i don't i don't want to make too too much fun of it. i'm i'm sure they're doing great work but uh keep you know keeping the the homeland safe and everything but uh it it it's also a little bit ridiculous so anyway um a meeting happened um you know with him with Chris and the officers but apparently they were kind of a little dismissive of him um they claimed in reference to the video particularly of the burning car that they didn't have jurisdictions like we don't know whether this is even in the UK or not Oh, now yeah. this whole idea of the them not claiming not to have jurisdiction though it seems a little again I'm I'm not an expert but it seems a little bit weird to me because I mean you're a cybersecurity unit so you're investigating internet crimes internet oh, doesn't right. really have borders right I mean someone could be committing a crime against a British citizen from a different country on the internet is that not in their purview like I I don't know I kind of didn't understand that, that no that's part a good of it. point but anyway. That's kind of the case here. Um, yeah, it seemed like someone could have done more for him. Yeah. You know, someone should have done more in some way. I don't know exactly how. It's it's complicated. It's not like a super easy thing, right? I can understand yeah. why people are kind of trying to like kind of pass the buck essentially, right? But someone at some point should have said the buck stops here and like I'll find out how we can help this person to help us. Because like clearly there's something, you know, to this. Um, so yeah, Chris, you know, he, uh, tries again. He tries the UK's National Crime Agency, the NCA, but, um, realizes later that he mistyped the email address for them, so they never actually got his message at all, uh, initially, yeah. Um, so after these unsuccessful attempts, kind of, you know, to go the legit way, um, were unsuccessful, Chris decided to do some you know, something on his own, go snooping a little bit more, do some white hat hacking. Exactly. Kind of go rogue, but you know, good rogue, lawful, good rogue, which is a weird Mm, combination. Chaotic good. Mm, I guess that's true. It would have to be chaotic good. You're, you're right. You're right. (laughs) Good point. So he, um, goes onto the base of mafia site and decides he's going to put a hit. He's going to put a hit out. As Mo- Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> That's what he's, he signs up as. Oh, yeah. And he puts a hit out on Bob the Builder. 
All right. <laughs> he he did this purely in order to yes. get messages, send yes. messages, and get a, an insight into the the website. Obviously, he wasn't really trying to kill Bob the Builder, who I've never watched, but I hear is delightful. Um, from my my mom's kindergarten class, oh. I'm sure would tell me. Um, is that still cool with the kids, Bob the Builder? Well, is they that like, passe by now? Well, they like reanimated it. Oh, really? Yeah, that's funny. It's funny to think about something that's like way past your time, and then it's getting a revamp. You know, right? It's interesting. Anyway, um, so Chris, you know, he he sort of analyzes the you know because he's a computer whiz, right? I don't understand this stuff. He does his thing. And he eventually uh, realizes that he can manipulate a flaw in the site's messaging system and is able to, quote, download Basa Mafia's entire message database and examine its archives, close quote. So he has access. Um, Secret. Secret access. He's like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible, just like getting in there. I'm in was the answer to a crossword the other day. It was like hackers like line or something. And oh. I knew it immediately. I was like, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. That was perfect. <laughs> so through this breach, right, Chris was able to establish absolutely for sure that Basa Mafia is or was a scam, um, which we already kind of knew, but it, he, he saw the back end, right, right, and was able to see the scam in sort of in motion um so this is also when we get our first real insight to again the central mystery here who is yura because now he can see your everything yura saying to everybody you know so he's he's getting a lot of more insight into exactly you know who this person and it does it does kind of seem to be a singular person based on the messages and what i read about what they read in the messages i always thought it's it's it it appears to be a singular person. I won't say it's not 100%, but I feel like that's fairly well established. So anyway, um, one thing that we come to know about Yura through Chris's seeing of these messages is that Yura is an A1 bullshitter. A liar. Ah! <laughs> he is a mendacious liar who lies um, all the time to everybody. And he... <laughs> there, there's a pattern to this, right? Um, Yura... Uh, has these correspondence, of course, with the clients, the people who want other people killed, right? Um, wherein he promises them swift and brutal justice in the name of bodily harm or car conflagration uh, to get that person back, um, which I'm not condoning at all. You know, it's that's not good. Okay, yes, you shouldn't yes, want to yes. kill people. So anyway, um, so when the act was not carried out, of course, as it never was, yeah. um, by the specified time, Yura would tell them, well, you know, that bumbling hitman, he oh, got, no. he, he got stopped at a, you know, for running a red light or uh, he, whatever, you know, happened. His, We're going to need another five grand. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, that was the cheap hitman, the bumbler. You want the real professional guy. That's going to be another five grand or whatever. Right. So anyway, um, there were people who fell for this over and over. The same people who would pay him over and over again. What? Yes. Yeah. Tens of thousands of dollars some of these people paid. Um, yeah. Which, again points to the seriousness with which they took this enterprise though to them this was not 
a bilk or a scam. To them, this was dead, literally deadly serious. Yeah. You know, every time they Which sent is... another 10 Bitcoin, that was them essentially saying, I'm killing this person. I mean, to the law, that is murder. If, yeah. If the... If the the action itself through... is like exactly is freaky. Someone was is like willingly like it's creepy. Yeah, and and that it's like there. It wasn't like there were like three of these people. It, it was like enough for this Euro person to make at least tens of thousands of dollars, um, if not hundreds, if not maybe in the low millions. That's another mystery, actually. How, how much, much Euro made off of all of this? So anyway. Um, some people eventually, you know, requested a refund. No refunds were ever given, unfortunately. And um, besides being a manipulator, liar, braggart, bad English speaker, Yura also appears, though, you know, to have been quite diligent and quite enterprising in in this enterprise that, that they went right. through. They were not bad at being a, a scam artist. So I think that's one thing you can, you can all say again, it's, it's, it's a little As, more, you know, especially since we, I mean, we still don't know who this person is. Yeah. Like, clearly the they're end. good at staying anonymous. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, it's uh, not to, uh, I think I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but when they do the 48 hours episode, they attempt to get Yura to do a sit down interview. Right. And eventually, right. or uh, sorry, initially Yura uh, says that they'll do it, but, backs out which yes. i think you could kind of see coming but i think they realized like it's too much of a risk like appearing anywhere in person is too much of a risk right so they they one thing i think we also know about yura is that they're very security conscious right. and they're yeah they're um um a bit of a maybe a bit of a hermit you know if we're talking about you know profiling you know this this might be someone who has a you know a, a work from home job or, you know, something like that, or, or yeah. who, who does it, you know, who's a bit more of a loner. I don't know, maybe. So anyway, um, Yura was not content to just, you know, stand up this dark web hitman storefront, you know, like all the others, and just let the chips fall where they may, right? He was, he was a little bit more of a businessman. And he went out and he got marks. He didn't, he didn't just wait for marks to come to him. He went out and got them. And um, what the Wired article describes is a, quote, fully-fledged fake news operation, close quote, that also helped to support all of this. Um, so apparently the messages, you know, bribes, coercions, whatever, that Chris uh, Montero had gotten from Yura was also part of a pattern. Yura would find people talking badly about Beza Mafia on the internet, and he would try to get them to take down the bad content. And put up good content by giving them Bitcoin or intimidating them. And, um, you know, or at least to get them to take down their, their bad reviews. And he also hired others to bolster the credibility of the website, including the person who made the burning car videos sent to Chris Montero, who is, by the way, in California. So a person wherever He's gets a person in California Cali at the time. The, the person who made the video was in oh, California. Oh, So a person, wherever, gets a person in California to make a video of a burning car, which, by the way, was probably not stolen or anything. Like, there was no crime, really, that occurred when they made that video of the burning car. It's not illegal to burn your own car, I don't believe. Um, and then mm. get that to send that video to a person in London. It's just so, that part of it's so weird, too. Yeah, why would someone burn their own car? 
because someone gave them money to do it, to make a video and, you know, to do this thing. So anyway, um, so th- this person known on the site as THC John 2 um, offered to join um, Yura's kind of cadre of hitmen, um, you know, because that was like also kind of a thing that, that the site like offered. You could like become one of these hitmen um, or whatever. So Yura said, well, that's okay. I don't want you to become a hitman, but you can make this video for me of a burning car. And then you can also make these, uh, this other video, these other videos of like fake, a fake murder, essentially that he would, that Euro would then use to say like, Oh, I'm not fake. Like here's a video of a person getting killed, but it wasn't, it was a fake video of a person getting killed that this person in California apparently made. So anyway, that's so we we find that out, and again, it's just more and more evidence that it's a scam. Like that is not the mystery; <laughs> it, we know it's a scam. Um, so anyway, you're also hired some um, sort of internet helpers, um, what are called SEO experts, that help to boost um, where your website shows up in results in Google results. Wow, this is. This goes deep. Yeah, like I said, he 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 was an enterprise or is or whatever an enterprising person. Like uh, it's it's interesting to know that like while he's he's doing this scam pretty well, I guess. Um, if you can say anything good about <laughs> about Yura, um, so the Wired um writer of the Wired article, I'll get to it at the end. Um, talked to an Indian-based freelance SEO expert that that had worked with Yura, but when they were talking with quote-unquote, Yura, that person had gone by, quote-unquote, Andriab. How do they know it's the same person? Um, because they were running the Basin Mafia site and oh. soliciting these, and they could see the messages on the back end. Um, and the um, this person, Yura, essentially, paid uh, him in Bitcoin, but he said he wasn't working for him any longer. Um, but this was part of how they established that he had these, like, you know, independent experts, like, working for him. So Chris um, continues to monitor the site's communications and comes to realize that Yura wasn't really the problem, right? It was really his clients. A lot of them were convinced by Yura's hype and sincerely wanted people to die. Um, and the messages that Chris could now see, right, he thought, okay, these are like a, kind of, like a hit list, right? You could potentially use this as invaluable information for police investigations, and he t- teamed up with a like-minded internet de- denizen um, with the nom de guerre of Judge Judy. So another kind of white hat hacker um, named Judge Judy, quote-unquote. So they um, systemized the uh, surveillance of Basin Mafia, started kind of like skimming the messages in real time. And Chris, as was his want, started to create a private wiki. Um, including, quote, compiling a list of the most dangerous users. Um, so he held off, though, on posting, like, any of this information on the internet or anything or alerting victims. He still thought that he could work with the police, right? And he tried again to contact the NCA, the FBI. Um, that again failed. So Chris and Judge Judy decide to take a more direct action. On July 3rd, 2016, they launched what they called, quote, Operation Vegetable. And um, Chris 
again, uh, here describing this from the Wired article, quote, I just wanted to disrupt the operation. It was also a personal revenge. I can talk about the greater good, but it's personal. It's many things. My individual focus shifts day to day, close quote. So that you'd say he became very wrapped up in this, right? Like I talked about earlier, like it becoming more of like an obsession for him um, as things go on. And so Chris and Judge Judy, they copy the whole Basin Mafia website, and then they shut it down. Like, they have the keys, uh, they flip the switch, it is done. No longer a website. Now, instead of going to the Basin Mafia site, users are redirected to a site um, that uh, said, quote, um, oh, sorry, quote, had a picture of a closed rusty door under the base of mafia logo they left a message base of mafia has closed for business after six months of scamming criminals for their bitcoins and stealing over a hundred bitcoins sixty five thousand dollars the site has closed no one was ever beaten up or killed close quote so chris and judge judy they celebrate they literally pop the champagne um you know they they see this as their final victory you know, Yura's been defeated, and, um, you know, his sort of true ma- nature is, is still in flux. Uh, but, you know, um, but it was not done. This was, this was is not... Is it ever? This was not the end. No, not really. Never-ending story. Um, so, after celebrating many, many, many days or weeks, whatever, after celebrating um, a day that Chris had... Sp- sincerely dreaded came to pass a real actual murder uh connected to base of mafia did occur and while again base of mafia hoax right there are real murders attached to this so i shouldn't you know diminish that um you know it uh i believe more than one person has been killed you know connected to you know the people wanting to use this you know dark web hoax i think it's but um i'm really gonna focus just on on one of them but definitely watch the like um 48 hours episode and stuff if you want more info like about that part of it particularly so about six months after shutting down the website chris had finally managed to make what seemed like productive contact with authorities working through a friend with some connections in the nca chris met with a couple of officers who said they'd follow up but they never did so Right, broken record. Oh, he tries again and again and again and again. And, you know, it's sort of like Cassandra, right? No one is listening to him. And unbeknownst to Chris, thousands of miles away in uh, Minnesota, um, events were unfolding that would lead to the death of, unfortunately, one of the targets that Chris had tried so desperately to save. Um, On May 31st, 2016, the FBI had contacted Amy Allwine, a devout church-going woman with um, a husband who was a preacher and an adopted son um, to tell her that someone wanted her dead, which shook her. I mean, this, you know, this was a bolt out of the blue for Amy. Um, So Amy and her husband, Stephen, who was an IT specialist, a deacon, right, preacher in this sort of, um, you know, pretty uh, conservative, right, church that they were part of, um, you know, they told officers that um, they they had no idea who, who could be behind this. But um, the officers told them that uh, 
someone had paid about $6,000 thus far on the dark web to have Amy killed. And they said, you know, um, that, um, you know, that a- Amy was, uh, by all accounts, a really, you know, genial person. She didn't have any known enemies, really. So this was all very mysterious. So about six months later, Amy was found dead, unfortunately. A single gunshot wound um, through her ear into her brain. And in the 48 Hours episode, you can hear the chilling 911 call placed by Stephen Allwine. And uh, it, yes, is exceedingly disturbing. So, and it's it's interesting, one one of uh, Amy's... uh, so, so Amy, again, you know, she, she was just like a super outgoing, like, she was like, uh, like, uh, uh, Joan Cleaver or something. She had taken a class two right, weeks before this. Right, she took like this. a self-defense class, right? Mm, well, it wasn't self-defense only. It involved self-defense, but it also involved learning about the police, learning about, like, right, criminology right. and stuff. Um, probably pretty interesting, I'd imagine. Um, two weeks before she was killed. And she had come to, to be friends with one of the... Um, senior detectives who was also one of the people who was one of the first people on the scene and and she describes finding Amy and and being severely disoriented in the moment um, by that experience. I mean, obviously, you know, finding this, you know, warm person with whom you just became close, you know, dead on the floor. It's, it's got, I can't even imagine, right? Um, but, and, and, and it's, so it's interesting when, 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 when she, when, when the officer was talking about this later on, she said, you know, when 911 calls, right, typically the person will ask for help and I need an ambulance. Um, you know, please send someone quickly. I'm here. You know, I need help. This was not what Stephen Allwine said. It is so bizarre. Um, instead of asking for help or an ambulance or saying where he is, Stephen says in really an almost placid tone that his wife, he thinks his wife shot herself and that there's blood everywhere. And, um, yeah, you can kind of see where we're going with this. Eventually, substantial circumstantial evidence would emerge that, in fact, Stephen Allwine was the killer of Amy Allwine. Yeah. That, in fact, he had drugged her with scopolamine, a drug that can incapacitate in, in large doses and... It did, in fact, kill her with a single gunshot wound to the head. And um, what also became part of the case, of course, were all of these messages between a user called Dog Day God, who eventually was found to be Stephen Allwine, and Yura um, on the base of Mafia site. And it also emerged that Stephen Allwine had been having numerous affairs that he desperately wanted to get rid of his wife, that he did not want to be married any longer. Oh, what a piece of shit. That he would cash in on her multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars of <gasps> um, life insurance. No. So he had oh my God, why ample, am I, ample motive. Why am I surprised? I know. I'm like, <gasps> <laughs> Yeah, he, like you were the one who told me about this story. <laughs> I know, but like, ugh, it's just I know. wild. I know, it's it's shocking every time you hear about it. Because, again, like we, we always talk about, right, like how, what? <laughs> Who are these people? Who are these people? Um, so it it did emerge. Uh, oh, I already talked about that. So um, this was, you know, Chris Montero's probably literally worst nightmare. Right. This was what he had been dreading. What he had, like I said, 
desperately been trying to prevent um, that one of Besa Mafia's clients would Snap. essentially get tired, right, yeah. of the delays, of the excuses, and say, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And that had come to pass, for sure now, he knew, it, eventually when he found out about this. So um, another nightmare came to pass when Chris himself was arrested soon after this. On suspicion of being Yura. Yes. Because apparently the, you know, quote-unquote real Yura had used his internet minions to essentially frame Chris Montero for being himself. Which is weird. And he actually got this to the point where the authorities went and arrested Chris Montero. And took all of his computers. And took him to prison for two days. Um, and eventually dropped the charges but yeah they didn't like apologize or anything they just like never talked about it again which is how these things kind of go so um while uh the authorities yes continued to ignore chris um after (laughs) that um the authorities did seem to start taking the situation itself more seriously the nca charged some people some of whom were not found guilty, some of whom served several years in jail. Um, Yura was never found. Um, Yura was not done. He rebranded many times, uh, at first as the Italian capo named Barbosa, um, and then in many, many different iterations. The site shifted its name, its ethnic affiliation, um, apparently in an attempt to confuse authorities and, and people like Chris, who were trying to, you know, um, shut them down. So eventually this whole situation came to the attention of 48 hours. Um, they did their two part, um, you know, special, we already talked about the interview thing. So Yura backs out of the interview as we talked about earlier. Um, but he does start passing some information about his clients to 48 hours and other, um, media entities, which, which is again, kind of interesting. Um, and there are more arrests. Uh, I think like four arrests, uh, four or five. The most interesting to me is that they were actual names and actual. He gave up. At, like mm-hmm. here you go. Like it could have easily been like I'm just gonna fuck with you and give you this like fake list of people to go on like a rabbit hole that goes to nowhere. But they exactly. were actual people who actually admitted to right putting a hit on someone. And oh my god! And that one guy. Sorry, go watch the episode. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and but but and Chris Montero talks about this how Yura will mix lies with truth, you know, and this is one of his techniques, you know. Um, so yeah, but but he yes he gave legitimate real information that led to real arrests where people admitted to doing these things and it was found that they did in fact do these things through evidence. So yes, <laughs> it it it's bizarre. Um, just like another bizarre layer on top of all of this, right? So, um, Yura also starts making these video entries, video diary entries, and sending them to 48 Hours, purporting, you know, purporting to explain, you know, the truth behind all of this and who he really is. Um, and he continues to maintain publicly that his hitman sites are not hoaxes, um, while admitting in private that they are, in fact, hoaxes, um, to Chris and others. And Yura claims in some of these private conversations that he was actually working with the police to catch the would-be murderers, but this does not appear to have been entirely truthful. Um, he does not really uh, appear to like have 
the the intentions that he purports to have in some of these um uh messages yeah he was um, still making money exactly it seems to all be about money for him um if we can say anything like about Yura again he he's also uh he's chaotic evil you know again chris and he are are our opposites, right? Chris Montero is chaotic good. You're as chaotic evil. He only gives a shit about himself. He only cares about making that Bitcoin. Like, clearly. Um, and protecting himself. Um, so, yes. This kind of gets us back to this, you know, central question, right? Who is Yura? Is Yura a good or evil figure? How do we how do we perceive Yura? Um is he doing the world a service, as he claims, by tying up the time and resources of these would-be killers? Is he, as many others believe, inciting violence purely for greed and selfish reasons? You know, we don't know. But what we do know for sure is that Yura is still out there. Maybe in Romania, maybe in Bulgaria, it, maybe in it, Albania. Who knows? It might have been. Probably somewhere in Eastern Europe, but we we really have no idea. Um. And Yura is probably a man, uh, by by all accounts, probably in his twenties, some think, and maybe a millionaire, could be. I just um, and may he has maybe saved people's lives. I mean, in all probability, he probably has saved people's lives. But you know what? In all probability, he's probably put people's lives at risk and may have led to people being murdered. Yeah. So again, it's it's not an easy thing. It's not super clear or simple. So I, I again, as we always do, embrace the mystery of this. He's not, I think, in the final analysis, any one thing or another thing. He's both things at once, um, or we can never know. So for now, his identity and his intentions remain very much a mystery, and that's my story. So my sources are Chris Montero, of course, just generally being the person who's done so so much work on this. Um, Gian Volpicelli at Wired, Peter Vincent and everybody else who made the 48 Hours episode, Eileen Ormsby at All Things Vice, uh, WVLT-CBS in Knoxville, Tennessee, Tom Lydon out of KMSP Fox, um, Joseph Cox at Vice. That, that was long. I'm sorry. That was, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I hope that wasn't too long. Sorry, guys. This is going to be kind of a long episode, I guess. All right, it's my turn now. It's my turn now, and I'm strong and I'm ready. If you know that song, hit me up. I don't know that song. It's So I'm not going to hit you up. I think it's from a Disney Channel original movie. Can we take like a two-minute break? Yeah. I'm ready. Are you ready for the night of nights? I feel like I sing that song during this podcast multiple times. It's true. It's true. (laughs) Okay. <clears throat> and we're back. Here, I have a story. What are you, Chloe? Here. <laughs> here, I have a story of lies, greed, and murder. Murder, murder, murder. 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 All right. <clears throat> this is also... Okay, so I actually read this... I've read this article many times. Um, but I read it for the first time, maybe like a couple months ago on long form so long form is actually like longform.org is actually a platform that takes you to other websites it's not a web it's not a 
a website that 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 like allows writers to write on it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's not a publisher. Right, it's not a publisher. It's just a a gatherer, an aggregator. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you, oh, Mario. Thank you. Words. Um, words. So this is from um, uh, Bloomberg dot com. It's called "The Hijacking of a One Hundred Million Dollar Super Tanker" by Kit Chalel and Matthew Campbell. It's a it's a long sucker, but it's a good one. As I say every episode, but <laughs> so this is the story of like the hijacking of a huge oil rig. So the Briante Virtuoso, excuse me, super oil tanker that was traveling through the Gulf of Aden in July of 2011. So the Gulf of Aden is right off the coast of um, Yemen. And so these waters are very dangerous. They're ridden with Somali pirates, pirates. Um, It's an extremely dangerous shipping lane. And this uh, ship happens to be holding cargo worth $100 million. So they're not in a great place. There is a crew of 26 men, Chief Engineer Nestor Tabaris, Captain No Gonzaga, and they're owned by a company called Suez Fortune Investments Limited. So just kind of remember those names as we go on. Nestor Taboras is the chief engineer, cap- and the captain is No Gonzaga, and they're owned by a company called Suez Fortune. So they were, pre- you know, they're, they're traveling these waters. They were prepared, right? The, the deck's perimeter had fitted coils of razor wire. Um, they had eight high-pressure uh, hoses, um, that would like blast people off the hole. Uh, they even have like a scarecrow in overalls propped up to suggest the presence of a watchman. And the ship itself was stocked with food, water, you know, medical supplies. They even had a panic room. Uh, and Suez Fortune had arranged for a small security team to like um escort them, escort the ship off the Yemeni port of Aden. So. It all happened on the evening of July 5th, 12 nautical miles off the Yemeni coast. Captain No Gonzaga orders the crew to cut the engine and drift while they waited for the security guard's arrival. So 40-year-old Alan Marquez is keeping watch. So he's there, he's on the bridge, when suddenly, just before midnight, a motorboat starts to approach the ship. So he sees six people holding rifles, and they're wearing camouflage. Marquez calls down to the ship, asking the men who they were. Um, and one, and then one pulls on a megaphone and explains that they're part of the security team, and they ask to board. Marquez was like, mm, uh, ooh, I don't know about this. Uh, he looks at it and is like, okay, well, there's too many people, really, to, for, there to be a secu- for it to be like the security team. Um, and one guy wasn't wearing any shoes. And letting armed strangers onto the ship when there's a question about identity is against protocol. So, but he he called up, but his superior was like, yep, uh, lower a ladder. And the men climbed aboard. And you can guess what happened next. Six men climbed up. So they had light brown skin, wore red and white, uh, I didn't look up how to say this word, kefias? K-E-F-F-I- Y-E-H-S. 
sure. And blue hospital masks. <laughs> Their rifles look like Kalashnikovs, and they carried um, black pistols and holsters on their thighs. And when Marquez asked for ID, they flat out refused. They took his radio and they're like, take me to the captain. I am your captain now. So they were instructed to gather all of their crew in the television room. So once all 26 crew members were in the TV room, the gunmen split up. So two took Captain Gonzaga to the bridge, two marched uh, Tabaris to the engine room, and two kept watch outside the tv room so the crew members are sitting there you know they're all freaking out they're wondering really you know what's happened to their captain where's their engineer going when suddenly they hear gunshots and at one point the engine turns back on so at this point it's 3 a.m and an explosion sounds alarms go off um but the crew still waited until the room, until it became too dangerous. The room began to fill up with smoke. Uh, so they crept out only to find that the um, the intruders, these gunmen, these pirates, had fled. They were no longer there. So Alan Marquez and some other crewmen, you know, they go, they rush to the bridge where they find their captain. He's tied up, but he's unharmed. They free him. Um, Gonzaga sends a distress call that was picked up by the U.S. Navy, specifically the USS Philippine Sea, uh, a guided missile cruiser that was on patrol nearby. So they, you know, come to the rescue. They So once they're all safe, they count off and see that Tabaris is missing. So search party is sent, but the smoke is too thick, and they eventually give up. So the fire is getting worse, right? The metal is buckling under the heat. And remember that they're carrying oil. So... They're carrying 141,000 metric tons of oil. Now, fortunately, all the fireproofing does its job and there's no oil spill. Um, but if there was, it would have been astronomical, totally devastating, absolutely terrible. Um, so U.S. Navy shows up answering the distress call, blah, blah, blah. They send lifeboats out. Um, 5 a.m., the U.S. Navy Seahawk helicopter spots movement on deck. It's Tabaris, and he's waving a flashlight. He's alive. So the flames were too intense for an aerial rescue, but he jumps into the water, and he's pulled to safety by a boat. So first, Captain Gonzaga begins to talk. So he says, here's his story. He says that the hijackers ordered him to turn over $100,000 and then sail to Somalia. But he was too slow to open the safe, so the gunshots that they heard was the hijackers firing their guns into the safe. Tabaris talks, too, and he said, um, saying that uh, he disabled the engines when the captors weren't looking, then he escaped and hid for so long that he missed the evacuation. All in all, this was a very unusual pirate attack, and we'll talk about why later. So let's get into the world that is maritime insurance. Is that how you say that? Mm-hmm. Maritime? Maritime? Yeah, maritime. Mar- maritime. Mm-hmm. So there's an entire world out there that is insurance specifically for, like, shipping. Yes. I th- if I'm not incorrect, uh, and I'm not totally sure, but I, I believe this is kind of how insurance started, actually. Like, the whole concept of, like, the modern concept of insurance. That makes a lot of sense. Because, you know, in in the, you know, let's say, you know, 14th, 15th century, right, the age of exploration, as we've talked about before, 
um, you would have these, you know, huge ships with these, you know, uh, enormously, uh, you know, expensive cargo on these really dangerous trips because it was like the, the 15th century, right? Like every trip is super dangerous. So you know, these emerging, you know, mercantilists, uh, you know, in order not to lose everything, right, they would get this new thing called insurance. So anyway, just a little well, nerdy historical note. Well, the company that I'm about to talk about is called Lloyd's. Right, right. And they had been around since 17th century. Right. They are the biggie. If, if you want to, for example, you're an NFL player and you want to insure your legs, right, you go to Lloyd's of London. Right. You know, if, if you're a singer and you want to insure your voice, you go to Lloyd's of London. I they do the weird shit. I'm almost positive Beyonce's legs are insured. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Hmm. And, and I don't know Lloyd's, all, but their big thing is shipping. That's their big. Right, right. But the, but they also do like weird uh, one. You know, normal insurance companies just they don't do that. Yeah. There's, there's no like insurance company in America you can go to and say I want to insure my legs. It doesn't exist. <laughs> Home auto life and, the- <laughs> and legs. <laughs> so the Briante is insured by Lloyd's. Quote, anything that might be lost or cause a loss from Bruce Springsteen's voice to a Virgin Galactic spacecraft can be insured via Lloyd's, but shipping remains at its core. Some 80 to 100 major vessels are lost each year, and the Briante was one of the largest of 2011, end quote. So after a shipwreck, insurers want to, you know, preserve as much value as possible, so they go to salvage. Salvers get a percentage of anything that they save from the destruction. So Suez Fortune, the owners, um, they called a company named Poseidon Salvage International. And, you know, they went in and started checking things out, right? If insurers were going to pay, they needed to get a better understanding of what happened and what actually went down during this hijacking. So although the owner of Suez Fortune, Marios Iliopoulos, Iliopoulos? Probably. He's super Greek. I was going to say, that's got to be Greek. Right? And I meant to look it up, and I always forget. Oleopolis would make more sense, yeah. Oleopolis. That's what I'm going to say. Well, it's with an I. So, Iliopolis? I have no idea. I'm going to say <laughs> Iliopolis. Okay. Because it's fun. Um, so, he was ready to submit a claim for his ruined ship, but he needed to let the insurance company, you know, do their thing first. Let's talk about Dave, David Mockett. So in order to investigate, they need to talk to people such as marine surveyors. So there's a lot of uh, marine surveyors in Aden. Um, every port has them. They, uh, they are, quote, are hired to establish the facts of incidents from routine collisions to deadly storms. Their assessments often make the difference between payment or denial of a claim, end quote. So... He's this pretty good dude. He grew up in England. Um, he moved to Saudi Arabia in the 70s. Um, at that time, it was booming. Mm-hmm. So he was looking for better opportunities. Um, he later moved to Yemen in 1998. Uh, he's, like, super tough. He was randomly shot at one point, and the bullet ricocheted off a car and hit him in the neck. Um, but he never, like, found out. I mean, he lived. He never found out why he was targeted. Mm-hmm. Um so at this point in time, he had been living and working in Aden for about 10 years and overall believed that he was safe as long as he stayed out of trouble. So here he is, Marine Surveyor, and he is assigned to look at the Briante Virtuoso. But he wasn't given access to the wreck for almost a week. Hmm. No explanation. 
So when he finally got to it, he was he looked did his inspection is was and was suspicious. So some points. It was weird that the ship was set on fire in the first place. Pirates don't set fire to valuable ships. They hijack them and then they hold the crew they hijack them and they hold the crew and the cargo for money. They don't suddenly abandon ship after getting on board and taking control. It's a lot of work. Uh, the one pirate tactic that could realistically cause a fire um, in this case, like an explosion, were rocket-propelled grenades that was sometimes used, but there was no evidence of those. So, also, why would an experienced captain invite random men on the ship when they're traveling in the world's most dangerous waterway in the middle of the night? It just doesn't add up. So, Mocket tells some people about his suspicions. He's like, you know, I don't know about all this. And he suspects that the supposed Somali pirates weren't Somali pirates at all, but they were rogue elements of the Yemeni coast, of Yemeni, of the Coast Guard or the Navy. So, fast forward to July 20th, 2011. Mocket takes a lunch break, about a 1 p.m., pretty normal day. He leaves his office. He gets into his Lexus SUV, and as he drives down the street, the bomb that was carefully placed under a seat detonated, killing him instantly. Yeah. So, absolutely terrible. Uh, it, they said they, you could hear it from, like, miles away. Wow. Um, British investigator Jonathan Totman arrives to look into Mockett's sudden and obvious murder. Um, but there really wasn't a lot to investigate like authorities cleared the site of the car bomb really quickly um there was very little evidence taken uh his laptop disappeared in police custody al-qaeda was super active during this time but um the investigator didn't believe that this was an act of terror he like no one really took credit for it and it was uh, like the bomb itself was small like it didn't injure anyone else on like it was on a busy street didn't injure anybody else Mm. i mean he was the only person killed um it's also unlikely that anyone will be arrested and charged for this murder for real (laughs) so people continue to look into the mysterious hijacking at the brillante virtuoso it's too big there are too many people involved with the between the insurance and this and the salvers and the and all the and this a hundred million dollar ship for people to not still ask questions, you know. Mm-hmm. So the U.S. Navy wrote up a skeptical re- report, and they interviewed crew members. So pirates in the Gulf of Aden are generally dark-skinned Somalis who speak the distinctive language of that country, but the Briantes crew told Navy investigators that almost all the gunmen had lighter skin and spoke quote, an identified an unidentified form of Arabic end quote. And the ship's data recorder said that the vessel had traveled West during the attack when Somalia was due South. So you'd think, you know, that like true Somali pirates would have noticed something like that. If they were like, Hey, take us to the, take us, you know, to Somalia, they were going the wrong way. So agents from the U.S. Naval Criminal Investigative Service started inspecting what was left of the tanker now that they had it um, secured. So one of the explosive experts, he goes in, um, he goes to a space next to the engine room, and it was totally scorched, but he spotted an unmistakable bulge in a metal plate on the floor, 
And something like that could only have been left by a bomb. So it was focused and it was really powerful. So 15 months after the attack, a second Brit in Aiden died in mysterious circumstances. So this guy named Roger Stokes, he's a lawyer and he's actually a friend of David Mockett's. So he tried to collect an unpaid bill, a fuel bill, um, on October 7th, uh, 2012. And uh, hold on, I just, damn it, I just (laughs) lost my place. God damn it. It keeps popping up with that. I know. Thing. Yeah. Uh, okay, wait. Okay, okay. So, October 7th, 2012, his driver found him in his apartment bleeding severely from a head wound. He died on the way to the hospital, and his family thinks that his death, uh, uh, was accidental but in shipping circles and like people who are talking they think he was like on the list of those i mean he was like part of the whole briante thing and he He found right he wasn't the only like the article talked about um another friend of mockets who like got a death threat and like had to straight up leave the country um because he was also looking into it happened again um Okay. Wow, this is embarrassing. All right. <laughs> I can edit this out. So now, the insurance. So there are two groups of insurers. So I don't know a lot about the inner workings of insurance. So when I was reading this, I really had to, like, puzzle it out. So I'm going to try to explain this as best I can. <clears throat> All right. That was so <laughs> gross. I'm so sorry. Okay. Two groups of insurers were facing major claims for the ship, And they needed to decide whether to fight or to start writing checks. The lead salver, a company called Five Oceans, wanted $30 million concerning the oil cargo. That was the first claim. The second claim was from the owner, Suez Fortune, who wanted $100 million covering the whole machinery and foregone profits plus interest from a group of 10 companies led by Talbot Underwriting Limited. In February 2013... Um, about 30 people, they all got together, they met at Lloyd's headquarters, and they talked about this case. So they had reps from both insurance groups. They had So the reps from both insurance groups, their lawyers, and then four police detectives. So they just, you know, they have this discussion. And eventually, I could really get into the details, but eventually the cargo insurers folded. And they paid out the $30 million to the salvers. So the other claim, the one concerning Suez Fortune and the ship itself, was much more aggressive. Mm-hmm. So the Talbot company denied Suez uh, $100 million for the ship, and then Suez was like, fuck you, I'm suing. So the insurer sent investigators to find out more about Suez's owner, Marios Iliopoulos. Yes, I said it. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about Iliopoulos. So... They start looking into his past, right? And they found out that one of his other ships, called the Ellie, had an unexplained accident. So a fire broke out, and, I mean, nobody died. The crew fought the blaze. But three months later, it ended up, quote, splitting in half like a watermelon. It just totally broke down. The resulting claim was $35 million, and the party settled before trial. Mm. Note, note that the Ellie's chief engineer on the day... Of the fire was one Nestor Tabaris. 
also chief engineer of the Brillante. Just, uh, right. I don't know what that means, but uh, take it how you want to take that. Sure. Uh, I'm not going to get too much into Iliopolis, but basically he was a millionaire who owned a lot of ships, right? So he owned both the Brillante and the Ellie through a web of anonymous offshore companies, some shady shit. He had uh, trade... So, so trade publications indicated that he owned as many as eight large ships at once. Another one of his ships had a disaster, but this time it was much more deadly. The Iron Antonis in 1994. So this ship was owned by Mario Siliopoulos and his two brothers. So it was due to be scrapped, but they sent it out on one last journey. I think it said from brazil to china or from china to brazil um but it sank in a storm 2,000 miles west of cape down one of the most remote places on the planet killing all 24 of its sailors oh my god yeah they were charged with causing deaths by negligence um but marios and his uh one brother were cleared but the second brother was convicted in 2001 so, so here we are, 2015. The Talbot Insurance Syndicate finally has enough evidence to go to court with the accusation that Marios Iliopoulos orchestrated the assault on the Briante Virtuoso. So insurers claimed that the fire was started by a bomb placed, quote, in a chosen location, stoked by an accelerant in open airways, and intended to cripple the ship, end quote. So the insurance company... Um, they point they point out that the there's a lot of inconsistency inconsistencies in the sailor statements and they kept changing their stories right so gonzaga the captain marquez one of the sailors and tabaris all said that the gunman claimed to be from the authorities this is the second time around um but if if that's like their official like are you sure like that's your claim if that's their official like thing how could somali pirates have known that the tanker was expecting an escort mm-hmm. huh right Right. So the insurer's idea of motive was the fact that uh, Marios Iliopoulos was deeply in debt. So they're pointing up their arguments one by one. And they're like, why did he do it? Debt. He borrowed over 60 million dollars to buy ships and the Briante wasn't doing well either. And it was in the red by about four million dollars. So in April of 2016, Marios Iliopoulos was arrested as he left after court. Uh, he was arrested on conspiracy to commit fraud. He was questioned for hours at a nearby police station, but was later released without charge. Hmm. Uh, so, okay. So it's kind of hard to find a lot of details on what's going on right now, but they are still investigating. So I suppose there was some kind of trial in February of 2019 that determined, uh, liability issues between the insurers, but I haven't found anything more recent. Hmm. Um, but they're still like, investigating what went down that night um as for the murder of david mockett it's unlikely we'll ever know um yemen was in terrible shape at the time it's still still is is. um it's a very ongoing situation there yeah even the u.s ambassador to yemen uh gerald fairstein said quote corruption was endemic in the military and the civil government it was a time of complete political chaos, end quote. So even putting together a murder case would have been incredibly difficult. Yeah. And yeah, just the little bit that I know about what's going on in Yemen, it seems like 
political chaos is a good way to describe it. I know the I think it was the former president like switched sides at one point and then he was assassinated. I think that's correct. I apologize if I'm getting the details wrong, but I believe that's what happened. Wow. So it really is, yeah. Just just complete kind of chaos in a lot of instances. Very interesting. But and we could learn more. Right. Right. I got a lot of those. <clears throat> I believe it's time. Oh, what are your sources? Oh, my only source was the the article from Bloomberg. Oh, okay. Uh, Who was the author? Uh, Kit Shalel and Matthew Campbell. Okay, cool. Okay, let's do some more weird, weird shit in the news. Weird shit in the news. Weird. Should we have like a real thing for that? Maybe someday. Nah. Maybe someday. Maybe someday. Who wants to go first? Magic Conchdale, will I ever get married? Okay, you go first. Maybe someday. Okay. So I just recently found this, and I'm kind (laughs) of... Super jealous. I'm I'm super jealous. I'm a little bit bitter about it. Like, why can't this kind of shit happen to me? But, um, so some guy... This is a... Oh, this is an article from uh, the New Zealand Herald. So, uh, this guy... God damn it. (laughs) So basically he found a 624 gram gold nugget worth $37,000 just while he was out walking his dog. Now, let me tell you something, Mario Silva. I have a dog. I love my dog. All right. Uh, You know, when I was at living at home, I'd take my dog out for walks all the time. Never did I ever find any gold all right <laughs> so he's like and, the, and they want to keep anonymous for obvious reasons yeah. the dog's name is lucky maybe <laughs> i mean yep. but they're they're walking around his his daughter like there's like you know strolling his daughter like kick something and uh so he says quote i actually walked right past it but my daughter pretty much kicked it as she was walking she then goes dad is this gold i said i think it might be end quote uh yeah so they like uh went to a supermarket uh weighed it uh yeah (laughs) quote just having it at home i've been like where do we store it i haven't been sleeping very well and we think it's just best to just sell it but I mean, I shouldn't be too bitter because like they talked about how it came at like a like the perfect time for them. Like they've been struggling financially, and it was like kind of like a, a oh, like it's great, wow, great timing. Like right. so I was like, oh, at least it wasn't like some random ass people who didn't deserve it or nothing. Because that's what I was worried about when I first heard it. I was like, it's gonna be some. Mm-mm. Right. Anyway. Okay, so mine is from AP, and uh, the title of the article is "My Kind of Mix Up." $5,760 bottle of wine served by mistake. So you guys might – it's kind of a viral story, as you guys might have seen this. Um, so this was a British restaurant, the Hawksmoor Manchester. And uh, so apparently a, a server made a bit of an, a bit of an error, bungled a bit, um, and served a uh, – what, over $5,000 bottle of wine instead of about a $300 bottle of wine. So a little, little, little bit off, uh, just a bit. But thankfully for them, their employer, the Hawksmoor uh, Manchester, was very understanding. They said it was very busy that night, but, you know, everybody makes a mistake, a one-off mistake, and that they we love you anyway. 
So it was kind of nice. Yeah. Everybody was sort of having good feelings about it on the Twitters, uh, the tweeters. So, uh, yeah, it was just kind of a, a good shit in the news. So, you know, people make mistakes. If, you know, things happen. It's just money, right? It's just it's, it's just super expensive wine. I mean, you hear the type of shit people do for money. Exhibit A. Right. So, <laughs> thanks you. Uh, thanks for listening, you guys. Yes, thank you so much. Appreciate Follow it. us on Instagram and on Twitter and the Facebook too. Mario Text Thirty is my Twitter. Um, if you want to, you know, if you want to, you want to read some... a daily recommendation of articles about what's happening in yeah the White House. It, you know, I, it's it's nice to be informed. Um, it is good to be informed. I, 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 all I do is I, I post an article and I do some hashtags. Yeah, Mario so is so... I try, to, I try so, to keep it simple. Mario is so woke. It's true. <laughs> it's true. I try. You know, and I would say, you know, if, if we want to just do... I've been recommending it a lot lately. If you want to get a little bit more woke, read Between the World and Me by ta Coates. I've been telling tons of people about this book because it's amazing. Um, I mean, I've I've known ta- about ta Coates forever and he's a great writer and... You know, I, I heard him talk on the Atlantic podcast, podcast and he's, uh, but he's just really good, you know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, re- read his book Between the World and Me. It's it's just it's really good. Um, yeah, I recommend the Harry Potter series. <laughs> good, good. You know, because no one knows about it. Because so no one, be- <laughs> I just feel like it's super underground. Have you guys heard about this? It's called Harry Potter. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. It's about. A wizard who's a little boy. It's crazy. It's great. Um, I guess maybe we can just start doing recommendations at the end of the episode. I don't know. <laughs> Why would people take our recommendations? I don't know. <laughs> we like stuff. We like maybe stuff. Maybe like it too. Um, okay. Okay, bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.